Okay, do you ever read something or hear something and it kind of grips you and your mind begins to go down a track and you begin to think, what's happening? Why am I I'm intrigued? Well, it happened to me, my journey this week started last Sunday in here, pretty much this time, because Dan spoke and he spoke out of Acts 12 and he talked about um, Peter being in prison and the church gathered in Mary's home praying and the answer to their prayers was very unexpected. Um, God answered, the, I don't know what they were praying, it's not recorded what they were praying and, and Dan talked very eloquently about that and, but he, it captured me, something captured me because um, I said before uh, Dan spoke, I said, listen, um, Try to cultivate uh, an ability to listen and then write notes. Not write notes while you're listening. Because while you're writing, you'll miss the, the next thing that's being said. That, that's what happens to me all the time. And, uh, and so I wrote down just three things that gripped me uh, out of what I heard Dan say. And the first thing that I wrote down was rescue prayers. Just I wrote two words, rescue prayers. The church were praying for Peter, because he was in prison, and I don't know, and nobody knows what they were praying, but they didn't, they couldn't see the answer to their prayer when he was knocking on the door. They thought it might be an angel. It would never be Peter here because he's in a Roman prison. And so I was challenged with that thought: rescue prayers. And then, and then I don't know whether this is my, you know, sometimes you hear things that are never said. But it captures you. Something comes into your mind. Uh, when you do what I do, when you speak like this in public quite a lot, uh, often people will come and say, oh, that point was amazing. And I'm thinking, did I say that? I don't think I said that. That's, that's not the kind of thing. That, but they heard the Holy Spirit whispering. So anyway, so I'm not sure whether this is what Daniel said or whether uh, Daniel, Dan said, or whether this is me. But I, I wrote down, spiritual attack needs spiritual action. Spiritual attack needs spiritual action. And it's got me on a journey this week. And so then I was um, listening to somebody and they mentioned uh, a guy called Friedrich Bodelschwing. And um, I thought, that's a great name. Friedrich Bodelschwing. And so I rang my brother, because he's German, this Friedrich fella. And I rang my brother in Germany. I said, Andy, am I pronouncing this name right? And have you heard of this person? Because what this man started actually is in the very area that you live in, in Germany, in North Rhine-Westphalia. And, um, and he said, no, never heard of them. Never heard of them. But, you're, but that's how you pronounce his name. And so I, um, I started on a journey this week of just researching and looking into the, the Bodelschwing father and son, dynamic duo, because in 1860, uh, Friedrich Bodelschwing, a Christian, and his son was a Christian, a uh, Christian family, um, a church, a significant church leader, um, began to notice people in his community that needed help, and so he started helping them, and they were the, the epileptics in the community. 
uh, because nobody helped them. And if they, people suffered from epilepsy, they were uh, discarded, shunned, because people thought they were demon-possessed or there was something sinister about their ailment. But this guy decided he was going to help. And so he started helping. And um, when, he, <clears throat> when he passed away in 1910, his son took over the ministry. He'd been involved in the ministry, but he began to give leadership to it. And um, <clears throat> it was quite extraordinary what they accomplished because it still lives on today. It became known as the Bethel Foundation. The word Bethel means house of bread, a place of provision. And so they, they decided that this would be the name of the foundation. And the Bethel Foundation today has um, many hospitals across Europe for um, the mentally ill, particularly, but not just the mentally ill. All sorts of situations and circumstances are helped by this foundation. Started by a father, carried on by a son, and handed down through generations of the family, because they're still involved, uh, bringing transformation and hope and help to um, people that are marginalized and impoverished in all sorts of ways. And so this... So this is intriguing me. And the, the reason it is intriguing to me is because uh, a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, because of my journey this week, I bought this book. Um, because I want to know about him. Because he went to this place, uh, and I'm going to read you what he said. It's uh, page 184 if you've got the book and you want to turn to it. He said this, he went, <clears throat> he'd heard about this fabled place and he was quite unprepared, I'm reading from, uh, from this, he, he was quite unprepared for what he saw. Bethel, house of God, uh, house, yeah, house of God, house of bread, was the fulfillment of a vision that Bodelschwing's father had in 1860 and began in 1867 as a Christian community for people with epilepsy. Uh, by 1900, it included facilities that cared for 1,600 disabled persons. The younger Bodelschwing took it over as his father's death in 1910. And by the time of um, Bonhoeffer's visit, it was a whole town, a whole town with schools, churches, farms, factories, shops, and housing for nurses. At the center were numerous hospitals and care facilities, including orphanages. Bonhoeffer had never seen anything like it. It was the antithesis of the Nietzschean, uh, of the Nietzschean worldview that exalted power and strength. It was the gospel made visible, and he said this, a fairy tale landscape of grace where the weak and helpless were cared for in a palpably Christian atmosphere. Phenomenal, phenomenal work. Being at the center of community, transforming lives. But also, when uh, Friedrich Jr. was giving leadership to this in the 30s, the rise of the Nazis was happening. And um, <coughs> Hitler was the chancellor, and then he became the Fuhrer. <coughs> and he instigated a... Um, a principle called mercy killings where these people that were 
subhuman would be uh, put to death. And um, I'm going to read you a quote from um, Pastor Frederick von Bodelsving Jr. He said this, because the Nazis were terrorizing people, terrorizing. He said this, you can put me in a concentration camp if you want. That is your affair. But as long as I am free, you do not touch one of my patients. I cannot change to fit the times or the wishes of the Fuhrer. I stand under orders from our Lord Jesus Christ. Such boldness, such confidence, such hope in the face of tyranny, such confidence and boldness in his responsibility to make a difference. It's extraordinary. And it's gripped me. It's gripped me. Because if we're going to be people who are prayers and our prayers rescue people, So we pray for our friends, we pray for our community, we pray for those that are oppressed and marginalized, uh, maybe socially, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, whatever it is, we are going to be people that stand and pray because we are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we can be intimidated by the world's pressures and problems into just coping and surviving and saying, well, I'm okay. You could also think that this is a a drive to get you more involved in some of the things that we do as a local church. And it's not. This is my motive. I'm going to be upfront and clear. My motive is to help you understand who you are in him and who he is in you. Who Jesus Christ is. Because if you fully understand who he is, if you fully believe what you believe, you'll live in line with that. And you'll do whatever the Holy Spirit shows you to do. You'll be the, the most brilliant wife or husband or father or mother or friend or neighbor or colleague or boss or employee or stranger. Because of Christ in you, the hope that you have in him, it'll change how you live. And I pray seriously, that you resist the temptation to be religious. Uh, I need to get into my notes because they're complicated. (laughs) And I'm not there yet. I'm just just setting you up. There's a a noted psychiatrist called Carl Stern, said of von Bodelsving. He built up a huge colony of feeble-minded idiots... And epileptics. And he's not being rude when he's saying idiots. He's saying this is a medical term that was used back then if they were mentally deranged. He said he built up a huge colony of feeble-minded idiots and epileptics in West Germany. His stance for these people was a kind of latch-ditch stand of Christianity. He was standing in the face of them being annihilated and he's saying not on my watch I'm here for others 
I'm here under commission from the king of kings who's over any Fuhrer or chancellor or other earthly king. I'm here on a mission to stand up and speak up for those that are marginalized. I'm going to be a living rescue prayer. Spiritual attack needs spiritual action. Got to do something with what we believe because the times are difficult. You mentioned, Ellen, you said, uh, we're going to dive in. And I've got in my notes, uh, and I've put here, deep dive here. And it's Ephesians 1. I want to take us into Ephesians 1, the um, 15 I'm going to start with and take you to the end of the uh, chapter. And just look at uh, three things that I want to focus on. But I want to stir your heart because, well, let's just read it. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse uh, 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith, I'm going to pause as I come to certain words because I just want to highlight them for your understanding. Um, uh, your bold faith. The word faith is not, it doesn't just mean believe what you believe. It, it's, it actually means your loyalty and your allegiance. If you've got faith in something, you've got, a, you've got loyalty to that or you've got an allegiance to that. And Paul is saying, I see your strong loyalty and allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. I see it. I've heard about it because people are talking about it. It's evident. I've heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love. Here's another pause. Love. We think of love as passion and emotion. But Paul and the people that were listening or reading or hearing his letter written, uh, read out to them, when they heard the word love, they would know that that word was meaning uh, commitment to action. They, they knew that when that word was used, because if you love somebody, it's seen, it's experienced. I've got a, a friend who said the dumbest thing I've ever heard about love. Um, he's still my friend. But he said this, I don't need to buy flowers for my wife to tell her that I, to show that I love her. I married her, didn't I? And I think you're still breathing and walking around and you haven't got broken limbs. I can't believe it. How dumb can you be and still, anyway. Love looks like something. When you love somebody, you are committed to act in line with that passion that you feel for that person. So, chocolate. <laughs> okay, I'm moving on. Yeah, just shh, shh. <laughs> Distraction. Christians are marked by their love. Not just because you're, oh, I love you, Jesus. You're just beautiful. I love you. No, it's because... You choose to be kind. It's because you choose. I heard this the other day, uh, and I thought, oh, that's good. The three things that are the most important things that you could ever do in your life to have the best of lives. Three things. Three things. You, I, I like little lists of three. I like short lists. Three things. The first one was be kind. Okay? The second one was just as powerful because it's be kind. Have a guess what the third thing is. Be kind. Yeah. And I thought, that's so true. You change the world that you're a part of if you're kind. 
Just being kind. And you know what kindness takes? The fuel for kindness is love. I need to write that down because I haven't written that down. Christians are marked by their allegiance to Jesus as their king and their allegiance to each other and to others and to others. I have not stopped, this is verse 16, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. He wasn't praying for their circumstances. He was praying for them. He's already said, I've heard of your strong faith, but now he's praying for them? He's praying because he wants to put even more fuel into their fire of faith. And he's saying, I'm asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. He's not praying that they wouldn't have any problems. He's not praying that they wouldn't be ill. He's not praying. He's praying that they would understand who Jesus is, who this glorious, amazing king is, so that they would understand, that their knowledge of him would grow, their experience of him would grow, their delight in him would grow. Because as that grows, their circumstances wouldn't matter. Because they'd navigate their circumstances with hope and trust and faith. And another trigger for me, I'm, I'm easily triggered by reading stuff and listening to the news. And, and um, I've been struggling to, with a, a little rant today because of stuff that I've been listening to that just incenses me. And I've and I said to Ellen, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole today. And so here I am breaking hard and doing a, <laughs> doing a quick turn in another direction. But let me pick up another thing that I want to uh, rail about, just very gently, and just nudge it, is the fear that stalks the world at the moment. And one of the things that is being promoted as a fear factor for all of us to worry about is the rise of AI. And uh, I've got a couple of little quotes. The godfather of AI, a guy called Jeffrey Hinton, said, AI poses a similar risk to human extinction as pandemics and nuclear war. So if you want something to worry about, I'm feeding you, I'm giving you a fact you can really fret about. The rise of AI is as deadly to the human existence as pandemics and nuclear war. The boss of ChatGPT, have you heard of this thing? ChatGPT, everybody's heard about it. This is just out of the news this week, these two things, these two quotes that I've got here. Uh, he says this. He's invented this gizmo, this thing. I listened to, a, uh, I saw a tweet from a pastor who said, I was, I was hanging out in a shop and I had a couple of minutes to uh, waste while I was waiting for my wife. And so I, I, I asked uh, ChatGPT to do me a 30-minute sermon um, with uh, a quote from Tim Keller on this subject, and it needed to be theologically accurate. And within 30 seconds, he had a 30-minute speech, talk, presented to him. And I'm thinking, oh, I think I'd like to have a go on that. (laughs) (laughs) I did have a chat with Joel a little time ago and said, I fancy just experimenting and doing that and reading it to you, and then just saying, I never wrote that, but uh, a computer wrote that, but I haven't bothered with that. 
because it's too restricting for me. I like colourful notes, and it, it can't do them like that. Um, but so this guy who, who has invented this technology is saying the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority. So do we have prayer meetings about stopping the AI monster? Or do we just actually focus on who he is and who he is in us and this hope that we have that whatever the world is facing, we will be lights in a dark place, that we will be hopeful when there are people that are hopeless, that we will make a difference because we're here, that our lives will count for something good, that whatever we dream of doing in the next few years, what was your quote? That we would actually get on and do it, that we wouldn't wait for it to happen to us, that, but that we would be the creators of our future that we dream of, a community that is safe, a community that is embracing and loving and kind and generous, a, a community that that would be different. Paul is not praying for their circumstances. He's praying that their wisdom, their spiritual wisdom, and that their insight, their insight into who Jesus is, who God is, how much he loves them, it would grow. It would grow in them, and then their knowledge of God would grow. In verse 18, he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope The confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I'm going to come back to these words. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. Not just that he's incredibly powerful, but his power is for us who believe in him. It's not just for us as people. It's for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Let me just go back. Three things. And so I'm kind of going to try drive these little nails into your thinking so that you remember them. The first one is hope. He says, I'm praying that, you're, that, you, would have, that you would understand this confident hope. And I, I want to say, circumstances do not dictate the meaning of my life. The circumstances that I find myself in do not dictate. They don't dictate the circumstances. They don't dictate to me who I am. Jesus Christ dictates who I am. He's the one that shapes me and guides me, trains me, disciplines me. He, it's, it's in him that I have hope. It's not that nothing bad happens. I don't care. Let me just qualify myself. I don't want misery coming my way. But I had a prophetic word many years ago. And I've mentioned this before. And a friend of mine said, Bill, that's the worst prophetic word I've ever heard anybody get. That's awful. Uh, Because the prophetic word was spoken over my life. was very public. Very public. uh, And it said, the person said that um, God was going to give me the privilege of being persecuted for my faith. 
And I had to make a decision. Before he said that, he said, do you want the bread of his presence? Do you want to be a carrier of the bread of his presence? And in a millisecond, I thought through all of my reasons for picking up that opportunity. And I said, yes, that's what I want. I want to carry the bread of his presence. I want to be a person who can give away the bread of his presence to feed the hungry, to help the hurting, to bind up broken hearts. To, I, I just, so I said, yes. And then he said, God's going to give you the privilege of being persecuted for your faith. Now, I don't look for that. I don't pray for that. I've got a confident hope that whatever comes my way, whatever comes my way, I'll stand up for him. I hope. I hope. I hope. I hope in him. I hope. Circumstances do not dictate the meaning of my life. Jesus does. Does he for you? Rhetorical. You don't put your hand up and say, yeah, no. But does he? Is he your hope that is steadfast and certain? Is he? And then do you know that you are his glorious inheritance? We often get told that we have a glorious inheritance. And when we arrive in glory, when we pop our clogs and we pass from this scene of time to the next, woohoo! No, no, no. No, it, we are his. We, he, we are his rich and glorious inheritance. What Paul is doing here, he's, he's referencing for these people Old Testament truth in the New Testament time because he's referencing Deuteronomy 7, 6 and Deuteronomy 14, 2 where God says to the Israelite nation, he says, you're my holy people, you're my special treasure. You are my special treasure. That's what he's saying. And Paul is picking up on that theme. And he's saying to these people, he's saying it to you and me because we're reading Paul's words. You, you, Kate, Flav, you, Michael, Ellen, Martin. And I could go around the room because you, 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 his special treasure. Wow. Yeah, but no, but I'm a bit tarnished. No, no. Gold doesn't tarnish. You're his special treasure. You are his glory. You, because you put your trust in him, your hope is in him. He says of you, you are his glorious, glorious. You, special people, special people are his glorious inheritance. To witness of his amazing love. You will witness it. You will experience it. You are experiencing it. You are his glorious inheritance. And then he says, and I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. Because we need God's incredible great power at work in us to be the salt and the light. Because intimidation will close you down. Embarrassment will close you down. The fear of ridicule. The fear of... Bonhoeffer's book here is called Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy because he chose to live the way that he did and he got hung in a Nazi prison three, uh, three, or three weeks before the war finished. But he stood his ground. 
stood his ground. We are at war. And it takes God's power at work in you for us, for you to be able to stand. And you need to understand that. You see, you need to understand uh, that the future was stormed, sorry, the future has stormed into the present through Jesus Christ. I wrote that thought down because it, it gripped me when we understand, because often we don't, we minimize the battle that goes on. There are powers and principalities. Paul says this to the Ephesian church. Well, let's just have a quick look at it. I'm going to flick over to chapter 2. Once you were dead because of, your, because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, but our very nature was the subject Uh, Sorry, by our very nature, we were the subject of God's anger, just like everybody else. Then the next line says this, but God, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when when he raised Christ from the dead. But God, but God. Paul is saying, listen, there is a darkness where people refuse to obey God. There is a darkness where people refuse to believe in God. And they'll justify it by all sorts of reasons. Oh, look at the church, look at the church, look at the church. Yeah, forget the church. We are fallen, struggling, miscentered people so often. Look past the church. Look at him. Look at him who said he will build his church. Look at him. If you just flick to the end of Ephesians, that was Ephesians 2, I'm going to go to 6. Just quickly, you know this. Paul, in this famous chapter of Ephesians 6, he says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He's very clear He's very clear that we are in a battle. And the the enemy is ferocious, but he is not all-powerful. He has no authority because Christ has all authority. This, when the future stormed into the present through Jesus Christ, it's the power of God at work to defeat death, to give life to set prisoners free, to heal broken hearts, to change lives with his forgiveness and love. His power transforms. His power transforms. Oh, I better hurry up. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the places of honor, uh, in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or fuhrer, anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. He has put all things under the authority of Christ. Let me just give you a Greek understanding of the word that's 
translated all things. In Greek, that word means all things. A little bit deeper in the Greek, it means everything. Everything. It means what it says. All things under his authority. And he's made him head over all things. That same word. Over everything. Head over everything. And, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ. Who fills all things everywhere with himself. This group called the church. When they live as though Christ is king and that the powers of darkness are intimidated when you get out of bed and begin to put your holy armor into work, into action. You begin to go on the offensive, living with kindness and love and generosity and hope and faithfulness and integrity the powers of darkness quake. And they'll come at you. They'll try and rattle your cage, tell you who do you think you are. How dare you? You're a little bit arrogant, aren't you? You're a little bit overconfident. Did God really say that to you? And you say, sling your hook. Get lost. Don't mess with me. I'm a child of the king. Don't come against me. Don't come against me. When you know who you are in him, it gives you a, a power and authority to do what Jesus has called you to do. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Woo. Bind up broken hearts. Do what he tells us to do. To be the salt and the light in community. It changes how we handle life. The three, the three, the, that's five. The three things the three things that will dominate, that are dominating in, in our world. The three things. Uh, and, and I'm not going to go into them, but I'm just going to make a comment. The, the, three, the three things that dominate life. Money, sex, and power. Three things. Everything boils down to either money, sex, or power. And it controls. It tries to control. It can manipulate. So money manipulates. Sex manipulates. Identity manipulates. Power Manipulates. You've only got to look what goes on in Parliament, haven't you? With power brokers and power mongers and power hungry people. Get off that horse, Bill. Stop riding that one. Go on to another one. Money, when it's used to serve others, it suddenly becomes redeemed. When sex is handled with integrity, suddenly it's redeemed. When power is handled for the betterment of others, it's redeemed. You see, I'm going to take us all the way back to the Vodal Sphinx. Vodal Sphinx. It makes me feel as though I'm half cut when I'm saying it. Because I'm struggling to use, to get my mouth around the word. But when you take their action and you understand what Paul is saying to the, the uh, church in Ephesus... There's a picture, there's a picture of a fairy tale landscape of grace that is not just for history, it's for future. 
because this is how we're called to live. So I've got on the end here, I've got end here. I wrote it down, end, end. I actually put it down because I want to end. But then I put, oh, over here, (laughs) because I wrote something else. So over here, so I'm going to take you to the over here bit. So I'm going to end it with this. Who controls you? Who's your hope in? Where is your hope placed? Who controls you? Does fear control you? Does hope control you? Who controls you? Who do you know who may be controlled by other powers? You ever met them? People that say, oh gosh, do you know what's happening about AI? (gasps) It's terrible! Oh, that's me in there. I'm just describing me there, sorry. But have you heard of people that, do you know people that are gripped by fear because of what's happening to the community? Oh, all these foreigners are going to come and take over a hotel in our community. Have you heard those people? Have you read them talking in the papers and in the, on the online? All these Johnny foreigners come into here? Actually, I'm one of them foreigners. Englishmen abroad, me. What drives you? What controls you? And then my, I think this is my best question. Do you understand? Do you understand what it means to have real hope in him? Do you really understand that? Do you really understand how much power is available to those of us in Christ? Do you really understand that you are his glorious inheritance? Do you really understand it? Because I think if you do, I think if you understand these things, your life, your life will be building kingdom. Bodelschwing's legacy. Today, there's 14,000 people, 14,000 people today in clinics, Homes, hospitals, schools, farms, factories, kindergartens, live-in groups, working therapy groups, and shops for the disabled. Because their hope held them. Their hope helped them. The power of God, the power of God is still at work through their legacy because of how they lived their lives. How about you? Going to leave a legacy? You might not start a foundation, but you could build a foundation in somebody's life. And his name is Jesus. And if you don't know him as your sure foundation, I want to encourage you to seriously ask yourself, why not? Why not? What's your reason for not thinking that he is the son of God. When billions of people do, what makes your intelligence superior to the people that do believe that he is? Because there's all sorts of scientists. I was listening to John Lennox this morning. What a brain. If you don't know who he is, Google him. He's a Christian mathematician in Oxford. But he debates with people about uh, the reality of Jesus Christ. 
and he takes on uh, some famous atheists and he, with grace and love, shreds them with the truth. That's all, just the truth. And he loves them to pieces. He loves them to pieces, but their arguments are flawed and he opens up the flaws and he shows them the error of their understanding. And he's seeking to build a foundation. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. Build foundations of hope, understanding that the eyes of our heart would be opened. Understanding that we are his glorious. I find it difficult to say it of myself that I am. Wow. It's easier for me to say you are. Because you see, I know all about my insecurities and but you are. Don't dismiss yourself. I'm going to pray. Father, my prayer is that we would know, that we would know who you are more clearly than we've ever known. And that today, we would make a decision that despite our circumstances, my hope, my hope in you is not defined by my circumstances, my, my health, my lack, my pressures, my problems. You are my king, and I choose to bow my knee. I choose to honor you with every breath that I can. Forgive me when I fall over and struggle to get up again. Thank you for your faith in me, that you have called me your glorious inheritance, that you have a hope in me that astounds me, and that your love in me can break every chain, silence every avenging devil. And I pray, God, that my life, that our lives, would bring you glory. In Jesus' precious, precious name, have your way, O oh Lord, my God, my Redeemer.